would encourage anyone out there who's you know looking um, Asia has definitely got a lot of opportunity out there yeah um, specifically for beer I think there's a growing demand and and as it becomes more accepted amongst the mainstream in many countries and and uh, continues to grow uh, represents an interesting opportunity the beer and beverage industry is still struggling to recover from the effects of the harsh liquor lockdown imposed by the government of this country. And many of my friends and colleagues have lost their livelihoods and may have no option other than to look abroad for opportunities to earn a living. In this episode, we talk to James Addison and Paul Vessels, who both work in the beer industry in Hong Kong. They've kindly agreed to give us some insight into how things work in this exciting Southeast Asian country. For more stories from South Africans around the world that have found opportunities overseas, please follow the hashtag SafasAbroad on both the Beer World and the Drinks World podcast. My name is Holger Meyer and this is Beer World. Welcome to the show. And today I've got Paul Vessels and James Addison on the show. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Holger. And we are talking to these two guys because they are involved in the beer industry in Hong Kong. That sounds very romantic. Uh, it is quite romantic. So let's start with uh, James. You've been in Hong Kong the longest. Where, where are you from? And how did, yeah, how did you end up in Hong Kong? Yeah, so um, I'm I'm actually uh, half American, half South African, but okay. spent most of my life in uh, in South Africa. Um, I left university in 2015, and pretty much immediately decided to move to Hong Kong. Um, had some some friends here that convinced me to move out, mm-hmm. and uh, originally came with the idea of, of teaching, which quite frankly didn't last very long. Uh, <laughs> So after a couple months, uh, I made my way into the food and beverage industry, um, sort of as a back-end management trainee for a restaurant group that had uh, quite a few restaurants. And then after about a year there, I got recruited into the beer industry um, by someone senior at the time who was still SAB uh, Miller. And um, sort of during that time, they transitioned into ownership of uh, ABI and then into Asahi. And uh, so I pretty much, I think I was the first hire in Asia under, under Asahi, but it was still, at the time, the SAD structure. Okay. Um, Drop some names. And uh, <laughs> uh, Raymond Stark was the head of Asia at the time, mm-hmm. um, but I was recruited by a guy called uh, Federico Bonia uh, from Italy, uh, who at the time was uh, head of Asia for Peroni. Mm-hmm. Um, so Paul and I, Paul and I are representing here today. <laughs> get some varieties. But, yeah. uh, and it's six o'clock in the afternoon there. Hey? Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, we've we've had a few market visits already, so we've oh, been yeah. around four or five bars, you know, just checking on the quality, making sure that things are up to standard. Mm. Um, but yeah, so so after that was about five, almost five and a half years ago now that I that I started with Asahi. Um, and I originally started with um, just the brand Pilsner Equal uh, from Czech Republic. And that was sort of my baby in Hong Kong. And I was tasked with um, growing it quite significantly, um, which luckily happened. And uh, then got given another brand called Kozel, also from Czech Republic. Grew that brand. Um, 
we then sort of went through a merger. Uh, I started representing Peroni and Grolsch as well as brands. Um, and I was sort of around that time, uh, Paul, uh, I'll, I'll let him jump in for a little bit, uh, flew into Hong Kong uh, yeah. from, from elsewhere in Asia. Yeah, so, so basically I always wanted to work in beer ever since, you know, maybe 15, 16 years old. I was, I was born in Johannesburg, raised in Pretoria, and then studied in Stellenbosch. Um, always with the plan of, you know, maybe working for SAB or working in beer and internationally, hopefully. And then um, when I finished studying, I went to Korea also to teach English. And I spent about two years there. Absolutely loved it. I don't know if you've ever had someone working in beer in South Korea on the podcast, but no. I think that would be an interesting one. It's a, <laughs> it's a pretty, you know, the, I think the beer consumption there is, is, is not slacking. Uh-huh. But um. Yeah, and then after two years there, you know, I still wanted to work in beer. And one of my good mates who was with me at Stellenbosch moved to Hong Kong. And he is best mates with James as well. So he yeah. told me, listen, you know, one of my friends, you know, he works for, you know, Pilsner and Kozel and all these beers. Like, just buy a ticket and see if you can get a job and see, you know, see if you can get an interview at least. So I just, you know, bought a one-way ticket to Hong Kong. Just, you know, rocked up. And then I think about two months after I arrived the protest started and then towards the end of the year the virus started so it was a pretty uh you know difficult time to arrive in hong kong but around i think after two months i did get an interview and then in october after six months i got a job at, at a distribution company called metabev which distributes all the asahi owned brands apart from asahi super dry or all the asahi brands in hong kong at least mm-hmm. the european asahi brands yeah okay. the european Special. ones and um, yeah, so my company, basically, we, we also do spirits and, you know, we have Perrier, we have Kimbo Coffee, we have Fever Tree Mixers. We do a bit of everything, but I'm focused on the on-trade beer sales. So yeah, after two and a half years or two years working for Metzabev now, my role is basically overseeing all the on-trade developments for, for the beers, yeah. So, so Paul is, is slightly underselling his, his story of arrival. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so so before he arrived my my best friend uh called me and he said i've got i've got this this guy arriving you know i went to university with great guy you don't understand how much he loves beer you have to give him a job <laughs> and i was like okay uh i'm interested so paul and i had like sort of managed to miss each other in korea a couple times when i was there for work yeah. Uh, never had a run-in, but uh, he came to Hong Kong, and I think he met me, and the first thing he said was, like, I want to work in beer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so very quickly, I was like, okay, he's passionate, you know, he's hungry, uh, I need to see what I can do for him. And uh, at the time, uh, no one was really hiring uh, in beer, it was, it was sort of middle of the year, no one was really looking, and I, I agreed to sort of take Paul on as an apprentice for uh, two weeks and, and Paul shadowed me <laughs> in the marketplace and we went around and I explained everything I was doing and everything the d- distribution company was doing. Um, and and Paul then shadowed someone else in the distribution company for two weeks. And this is all free of charge, Paul's working <laughs> at the time. And uh, <laughs> I, I, got, I got paid in beer. I got paid in free beer. <laughs> every, every day. Every Which in Hong Kong is... is is not bad. Yeah, it's pricey. So yeah. he's done well for himself. Um, and 
Yeah, essentially it came to the end and, and then I sort of contacted the, the head of the distribution company. I said, what do you think about Paul? And he's like, listen, he seems passionate, but, you know, I, I don't know if we have, we have budget for him. So I called my boss overseas and I said, listen, can we unofficially pay half of his salary? Because this guy is going to be hungry. He's going to get us more accounts than anyone else. <laughs> and so we came up with some kind of financial plan where we were paying half of Paul's salary and he, he started with the distribution company um, as sort of half our employee, half their employee and uh, yeah, refused to quit and uh, very quickly worked his way up in, in the company and proved his worth and has uh, been a terrier ever since getting us uh, the most accounts there. So so it's 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 been a, a, a climb for Paul, but he's massively done a job. Oh, wonderful. Uh, James has been very nice now. He's never been this nice. <laughs> <laughs> no, I only got to do a job for <laughs> um, Yeah, so interesting time. Um, and then since since Paul came on board, um, and during that time, uh, I saw he sort of had another merger um, where we merged with our, our Asian business, the European and the Asian business merged. And... Um, I also work on Asahi Super Dry now, which is our, our biggest brand out here in Asia. So Asahi has a number of ventures, food, soft drinks, uh, spirits and whiskey, and, and also obviously beer. But uh, the way the company is segmented, I, I just work for the beer side. And the Asahi Asia, what, what countries does it cover? Everything in Asia, um, bar Australia and Japan. So uh, our main markets are China, Hong Kong, Taiwan, uh, Singapore, Korea. and Korea. And then we, we sort of have a number of other smaller markets or distribution-based like Philippines, uh, Micronesia, um, I think Laos and Cambodia have various distribution agreements. But um, it's more of a loose structure out here. We, we don't generally distribute directly. We go through third-party distribution, um, and because sort of of the history of us having an Eastern Europe and a Western Europe, and then an Asia, um, it's a, a lot of contracts which are not yet sort of amalgamated into one partner. Um, so, so it's a it's a job in terms of working across distribution partners for various different brands. Yeah, yeah. which is quite a common thing in Asia to work with distribution partners because there's such a Every country has these laws that you won't know about unless you are from the country. Or yeah. I think Thailand has a law where, yeah. you, like, if you're opening a company, 50% of that has to be owned by, you know, a Thai national. Mm. There's there's all these laws that make it very difficult to set up own shop, which is why you know not just in beer but in, across anything really, people use distribution companies in Asia. Okay. So it's but it's it's the brewery and then a distributor and does it go into retail? Are they dedicated liquor shops or is it into supermarkets? Yeah, 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 very much so. So so the way we we talk about trade here is there's on trade and off trade mm -hmm. um, specifically on trade being bars and restaurants etc. Um, and off trade being um, convenience stores, supermarkets, hypermarkets, anything along those lines, uh, and generally. It's sort of segmented in terms of jobs and skill sets, obviously different skill sets for, for different sides. Um, Off-trade tends to be more key account management where you're dealing with a very few select partners, very price-focused, a lot of promotions, um, etc. A lot of linkage with marketing, uh, what we would call above the line. So, you know, TV, 
uh, billboards, et cetera, and, and linking that sort of stuff. And then on trade, um, which honestly, both Paul and I, I would say, specialize a lot more in on trade as, as restaurants and bars. So um, whether it's working with groups or single outlets, um, understanding their needs, the competitors, a lot of the contract stuff, um, looking at how to, to shape contracts versus competitors, whether it's listing fees um, or marketing payments or you know, various other ways of, of paying customers and, and ensuring you know, visibility uh, in outlets. So yeah, uh, that, that's sort of the game that we play and it's, uh, it's always a, a way of uh, a game, I would say, against competitors on, on who can control the most taps and, and how you do that. In market, so not unlike anywhere else in the world. Yeah, yeah, I, I would say the only thing which you get a lot more of in Asia is exclusive contracts, which okay. make it very difficult for smaller players to play. Uh, and also, like if you've got split distribution and you're competing with your own brands, it's a, a confusing game that you're playing. So, so you can be playing both sides of the pitch necessarily you know where you're you're trying to get these guys to play nice with these guys uh you're investing on both sides you don't want to over invest so so that's that's the challenge here um and uh yeah it's it's very competitive and i would say much more exclusive in asia than in a lot of other markets at least hong kong which i know compared to the rest of asia i only really know about hong kong but it's a very expensive market if you break down the investment per hectoliter which which makes it you know a a lot of the big players generally, what they just do is discount, mm. which makes it really tough if you're if you're you know chasing volume and chasing targets because it's just you know it's a very cutthroat, um, expensive industry for beer. Yeah, for sure. What was SAB's role? Which brands did they control? So SAB um, obviously they sold off to ABI. Mm. Um, and as part of the, the selling process, um, they sort of were violating European competition laws where they can tr- control too much of the market in Europe. Um, so they did a sell off of brands uh, and sort of, I think, said to the market, you know, who wants to take what? Mm. And um, the first sell off piece included Peroni and Grolsch as sort of the main two pieces, the main two breweries. Yeah. And mark- the markets were. UK, Italy, and Netherlands. Um, they sort of targeted on that one. And so I think Asahi purchased that first, and that went for something like 8 billion USD, uh, I want to say, off the top of my head. Um, so obviously a, a pretty expensive piece. Um, and then a year later, they were they were still sort of deciding what to dice up and which brands to dissect. And they chose the Czech Republic um, as being the next one, and that included uh, the biggest brands being Pilsner, Equal, and Kozel. Um, there, there's, I mean, there's hundreds of brands under the portfolio, so it's it's hard to describe them all. Mm. But um, essentially, those were the main two, and and that included most of Eastern Europe control as well um, under that um, in terms of a number of markets, okay. and uh, that went for about I think 16 billion USD. Um, okay. To, to Asahi, so so big big boy money. Yeah. <laughs> we recognize those brands as being part of the B2C portfolio or the B2C premium drinks company in South Africa. Ironically, I've, I've been on a phone call with, with quite a few of them. You, you When you're on the group market calls, you, you hear the South African accent, you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 And um, when last were you guys in South Africa? 
It's been hard to travel. No, I actually, yeah, it was hard to travel, but as soon as they um, reduced the quarantine to two weeks, I went home. So I, w- I flew in, I think, on the 2nd of March this year, stayed for a month and then came back and it was actually, I didn't have any flight bans, which uh, like... Miracle. Yeah, it's a miracle because in Hong Kong, if you, there's all these silly rules that I won't get into, but your flight or flights, airlines get banned if there's, you know, a bunch of COVID cases on it. So my trip actually worked out perfectly. And I had a I had a great time in 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 South Africa. And obviously now, if I come back for the first time after working in beer, I kept a, I kept a bit of an eye out on on which brands you know has grown, which new international brands I've seen. Obviously, with ABI having you know Stella and Budweiser now, that was a I wasn't surprised to see it. But I saw a lot of growth actually, which especially in off trade in, in you know tops and and uh, liquor stores. Mm. Which was which was quite interesting, but also like some of the other local beers that grew a lot, like especially Devil's Peak. Mm. I mean, that was so good to see because I really like their beers. But they, when I left and came back, it's, uh, they've definitely made a lot of progress, which is quite interesting. Mm. And you, James? Yeah, for me, uh, about two and a half years now since I was home. Um, plans to go back in December, which uh, I'm very excited for. Um, but uh, yeah, it's been it's been too long. <laughs> So, James, we met when you came to Hillcrest Tops and bought a six-pack of Pilsner Urquell, and we started chatting. You gave me your business card, which I kept, and I'm very chuffed that I did that because doing this series about South Africans abroad, it's nice to connect with you guys and to be able to talk to South Africans working in such an exotic location. <laughs> uh, Why are you laughing? Is it... <laughs> Uh, honestly, it's quite funny because it was very by chance. Uh, yeah, I, I just I, I saw you sort of doing stuff and 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 ask a question or two, and then and then we started chatting in the in the tops, and uh, you gave me your card, and I added you. Um, I think on LinkedIn quite quickly, and then I followed you since, and even seeing the way you've sort of grown the community of beer in South Africa. Um, it's been quite interesting for me to follow along. Uh, very obviously zoomed out perspective, uh, but uh, yeah, over the last four or five years, um, yeah. So, so honestly, very impressive how you've grown the beer community there, and and I think it's great. Um, you know, uh, South Africans abroad. I think, quite frankly, you know, there's there's, there's not, a lot. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot, um, and that's that's driven by opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of the day, um, I, I know for myself and I think for, for Paul and, you know, obviously our, our very good friend here and a number of other friends that are South African here, um, opportunity um, does drive you to, to move away to find opportunities. Um, and we've been we've been lucky enough to, to land in beer and in a, in a foreign country where uh, there's a lot of money and opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been an experience, but I, I would encourage anyone out there who's, you know, looking, um, Asia has definitely got a lot of opportunity out there. Yeah. Um, sp- specifically for beer, I think there's a growing demand and, and as it becomes more accepted amongst the mainstream in many countries and, and, uh, continues to grow, uh, represents an interesting opportunity. Mm. Yeah. Your positions are permanent. Is it is it hard to get uh, work permits to operate there to work there? I think at the at this very moment, I think it is quite challenging. If you have experience, obviously it helps. But I think because of the way that you know the last two years ha- has mm. been, especially COVID. Hong Kong, 
um, because of, you know, like, you know, COVID was everywhere, but there's a lot of South Africans going to Europe and, and all that. But I still think Hong Kong is very much closed down for, for or has been closed down for new, uh, you know, new work visas, at least in this industry coming in, because, you know, of course, they need to justify why you're hiring a, a foreigner over a, over a local person. I mean, we all had to go through that, but, but now it just, they turned it up a notch, which makes it a little bit more challenging, but it's definitely not impossible. Yeah. You know, I don't want to, yeah, maybe I, I, I overstated it or now it sounds like it's, you know, very unlikely, but it's, it's just. I think it'll take a little bit of time for some of the restrictions to ease, uh, specifically in Hong Kong and, and maybe China um, in terms of, of, of work. But uh, for Asia in general, I would say it's opening up again and, and definitely a possibility. Um, yeah, visa-wise, yeah. it's not incredibly difficult in Asia, I would say. I would, yeah. I would say it's reasonably common. Yeah, because, um, I mean, it's one of the beauties of working in Asia and specifically Hong Kong is because there's so many different nationalities. You know, you learn so much by working with people from all over the world and you learn to understand cultural nuances, which I think is very rare if you just, you know, live, study, work in, in one country. So um, now there's there has been a lot of people who left. So the flip side of discussion now, it's like we're trying to get back talent. We're trying to get back, or Hong Kong is trying to get back international talent, which in F&B, you know, South Africans hold the, you know, let's say wave the flag pretty high. I think, you know, we have a good name. We're hardworking. We're very sociable people, and and um, I think that that really helps with getting jobs as a South African because there's always a good like um, connection or good connotation with if you're yeah. being from South Africa working in beer, mm, your yeah. chances are someone's already met a South African working yeah. in beer yeah. <laughs> or, or alcohol. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we've got a lot of I would say honestly a lot of friends. Uh, or people that we know who are South Africans working in other alcohol companies, whether it be in wine or spirits or anything like that. It's, you know, it's quite common here. And um, yeah, like, uh, again, quite frankly, the draw for South Africans is, is the money and the opportunity, <laughs> which uh, Hong Kong has. So that's, that's, that's always a good thing. Yeah. And in terms of the market, um, I don't know how much exposure you've got to the South African market, probably mainly as a consumer, um, but how would you how would you uh, describe the difference, or what what are the main differences? Uh, I'll 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 go first. I, the the main difference, and this I've never worked in the beer industry in South Africa, but the thing that I picked up, at least before I left, was that the South African beer market is dominated by SAB or now ABI, mm. and dominated up to such a point where um, I think even working for them, it's almost at a point where like if you you already have, let's say 95, 95% market share, but you're fighting for 96, 97, where here it's, you know, there's a lot more players where everyone has like a, you know, a decent piece of the pie. So it's, it's not, completely like you know one underdog going up against the big bad wolf or anything like that um so it's uh it's it, it's very competitive and there's a lot more players i feel compared to a market like south africa that's you know maybe a bit more established historically yeah um uh, I'll, I'll add to paul's comment so so hong kong has very loose import laws 
here. In regards to beer, there's no extra tax. So you honestly, you get a lot of sort of people trying their luck in Hong Kong in terms of import um, for for beer. Um, over COVID, it's obviously been less so than than normal. But in general, whether it's craft brands or relatively mainstream brands, someone's trying to bring it over here, whether it's parallel import or new, um, you, you have that sort of as a threat here more than normal because of uh, the, the lax sort of import laws. Um, so, so that's definitely everyone's here, like every major player, anyone who has money, uh, they see Hong Kong as sort of a lighthouse market for Asia. And that means you're going to spend money here and not be expected to make money. So um, I think versus a lot of other markets where they're more tactile and um, tend to be focused on, on profits, um, it's, it's very much focused on um, visibility here. Um, in terms of South Africa, I think the other major thing is um, off-trade versus on-trade. In, in South Africa, like price of beer is very different. I mean, what, what's an average pint in South Africa nowadays in terms of cost? In the bar? 35 rand? Yeah, yeah. 40 bucks, yeah. Yeah, so so Hong Kong, <laughs> we're, we're sitting, sitting around 160 rand mm. for, for a pint, which is obviously a pretty pretty big difference. You know, in South Africa, I can, I can remember when I was in high, I mean, university. Yeah, <laughs> 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 a pint costing, you know, 18, 20 rand, something yeah. like that. So obviously, there's been a, a big price hike. But in Hong Kong, you know, it's, it's pretty standard to see um, 160 rand. Um, uh, and, and honestly, upwards. I, I think the most expensive I've seen here is, is about 220, 240 rand, yeah. something like that. Um, and that's that's also why convenience stores like 7-Eleven and Circle K are so popular. Yeah. Because you, you'll have the, you know, let's say the, the busiest bar street in Hong Kong and then at the bottom and at the top, there's a 7-Eleven where people go and buy a beer for a tenth of the price. Mm. Well, so I was going to touch on this. Hong Kong's drinking laws, you're allowed to drink on the street. Mm. So, 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 you know, you've got a bar selling uh, a draft beer for, call it whatever, 150, 160 rand. And then you've got a convenience store selling 500 ml, same size, size as the pint, effectively. Um, 20 rand. 20 rand. Mm. Um so, so this sort of merging between on-trade and off-trade and then uh, consumers sort of half mixing between on-trade and, you know, maybe buying one drink at the bar and then going outside and buying three drinks at the 7-Eleven on the corner. You can stand with your friends outside the bar still and continue drinking. So there's, there's a very different, like, habit of, of, of drinkers here. Um, and also the other thing is, uh, obviously, in South Africa, you have a lot more space in your houses. So a braai, very common. Everyone brings a six-pack or, you know, 24-pack, whatever, <laughs> uh, to a braai. Uh, here, with the, you know, there's, there's maybe one or two friends in a group who have a rooftop that you can, you can go have a, a braai. Um, outside of that, drinking at home is not generally a massive occasion because you can't have anyone around. It's a very small flat. Uh, <laughs> and you, play, you pay an incredible price for, <laughs> for a very small flat. So, yeah. So unless you're obviously on a beer podcast, then you then you drink. Are you are you at home now at at the office? Yeah, yeah, I, I'm at I'm in my home. Paul's yeah. Paul's come around to mine. Oh, okay. uh, so uh, yeah, yeah. Obviously, beer podcast. You have to be somewhere relatively <laughs> quiet. <laughs> yeah, uh, 
but yeah. uh, and, and uh, these are delivered for free, so, so we're not paying for these. <laughs> yeah. no, it's, it's all quality checks. We just want to make sure the liquid yeah. is good enough for the market. Gotta 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 check the stock. And you got, yeah, and you gotta entertain your distributor. Um, so <laughs> yes. <laughs> we know the main brands that Asai does. Um, just run us through them. Uh, so Asahi Superdry is our biggest mm. in Hong Kong. Uh, we do probably 105,000, 110,000 hex. Uh, Peroni is number two, and we're probably coming in at around 7,000 hex here. Um, and then after that, it's Pilsner Quell, and that's roughly 4,000, 3,500, call it. Um, and then we sort of get start delving into the, <laughs> the tail end, if you will, on cricket. So we, uh, we got a um, Cozel, which is probably 800 X, uh, 600, somewhere in there. Um, and, and that's mainly the, the lager side, a little bit of dark, but mainly the lager. And then we've got a number of UK brands. So the, the Fuller's brands, London Pride and, and everything that fits under Fuller's. And their combined portfolio is around 500. Um, and then we have all the Australian brands that we've recently purchased, which some of them have official distribution, some of them don't. Um, quite a lot of parallel, that sort of stuff. And that's probably around 500 as well. Mm. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're, they're brands for the future, not necessarily focused brands now. And the split, between, the split between draft and, and packaged? I mean, you're you're asking her a bad time. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're coming out of a, yeah. a three month lockdown essentially. So so this year the whole beer market in Hong Kong is is roughly ten percent down year on year, um, and draft has obviously been the hardest hit um, when all yeah, I mean all bars have been shut and uh, all restaurants were closing at like six p.m. up until the nineteenth of April. Yeah. So. Um, Realistically, right now we're sitting 80 90 percent package, 10 20 percent draft. Yeah, for for size super draft for for the beers or for Peroni and, yeah. and the beers that Metzabev has, I'd say it's still around 70 percent on trade. Yeah, which you know, I, I, the, 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 the Paul is actually touching on, I guess, a key problem slash challenge for us is that Peroni for us as a brand is incredibly strong in the on trade. Uh, traditionally, I mean, up until two years ago, we were 90% draft. Uh, I mean, almost. Uh, it was, it was well, 90% on trade, should I say. Uh, very driven by by bar trade. And then obviously COVID hit and we've had to readapt the brand. And so now it's about 70, 30, 80, 20, I'd say, yeah. in between that. Uh, but still challenging. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And what, what else? I mean, the nuances and the differences between the markets, what else would be interesting for for us South Africans? Yeah, I, I think the I guess from my side, uh, I'll, I'll speak first, and Paul can add. The interesting development to see has been e-commerce and mm. and uh, sort of the the rise of that, and even delivery, where you've got delivery platforms now doing quite a lot of beer. So so here you have. Um, I mean, there's two players that are like instantaneous delivery and they're called Food Panda and Deliveroo. And you can sort of order food to your house uh, immediately. Um, yeah, it's called uh, Take Us 60 Minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I've, I've heard Checkers has started doing quite a lot of delivery. But um, yeah, for here, 
bars and restaurants and supermarkets have started doing it sort of very normally. Um, and that's had to become a big channel for us to focus on in terms of how do we get visibility and representation and it actually becoming a volume driver for us, um, particularly when there's lockdowns, you know, when, when no restaurants are open past 6 p.m. And, and, and people need to, to order food, this is, this is how they're doing it. And, and obviously beer is a part of that. Um, uh, I would say that's sort of been one of the most interesting things. Uh, and then also, I guess, the rise of 0.0 or, or non-alcoholic beer has been an interesting one. Um, obviously, from a regional perspective, I, I, I'm in contact with a lot more sort of people and, and, and see what 0.0 is doing in, in, in Europe and in other markets and sort of how big it's becoming. And I would say Hong Kong's sort of probably five years behind everyone else, uh, but obviously becoming a player in terms of it starting. Um, just today I was having a lunch with a, a friend uh, who, who runs a, a 0% alcohol company and it's wine, beer, spirits, everything. Um, and it, it's sort of, a, I would say, a cutting edge industry, still very small volume, but there's definitely interest and there's definitely a growing market for it. So those are sort of the two most interesting ones for me that are emerging. Yeah. What about for you, Paul? I think just uh, maybe a more, uh, let's say, a more practical example is I, I think the sheer layout of the city mm. like hong kong is a city of seven and a half million people but it's the size of you know maybe half the size of johannesburg if if even that so it's it's a lot it's it's very um condensed in some areas there's not a lot of places where you would go to to have apart from convenience stores and stuff like that there's not a lot of places that that you'd go to you know have beers go out on the night out so it makes it a bit more competitive and now you know one of the trends that we're seeing is that because um it's so easy to have like cheap beers at 7-eleven or circle k or these convenience stores now people are taking note to maybe premiumize their beer offering where in the past they wouldn't care if they if they sell in cosmic for 90 dollars mm. or and or brand x or brand y for you know 10 at the 7-eleven it didn't matter but now people are waking up to that because consumers are more conscious on the beer that they drink on the selection yeah so that's an interesting one that that's coming out and maybe even more so with COVID because i think financially everyone has been reassessing their budgets a little bit so the average consumer if they want to pay you know 180 150 rand for a beer you know they don't want to be paying for a beer that you can have for 20 rand at a 7-eleven mm. so that's an interesting trend that's that's coming out and i think the way the city or the density of the city, I think it kind of fast tracks it in a way. Yeah. And it, and it must be, I mean, with the, with the density of the city, is there, are there any craft breweries? Oh, lots. Um, yeah, so um, I, I was actually, another another friend I met up with today who, who runs a, a craft brewery here, um, you, you actually have some very talented craft brewers out here. Mm-hmm. And there's definitely a market for it. I, I would say it's very hard to scale craft here in terms of in a meaningful way beyond certain volume thresholds. Um, but I, I, the, my two favorite that I would say is uh, one called Yardley Brothers in Hong Kong uh, makes the most interesting beers I've, I've seen out of Hong Kong. Yeah. And they've actually just even launched 
their their own brand. Sorry, really, their own bar. really quality focus. Like really, really, really quality focus. Like that's almost all that matters to them. Yeah, if, if I'm if I'm recommending someone look for like an interesting craft beer, it's Jolly Brothers, like 100%. Yeah. Uh, and the quality, you never have a problem. Every beer is amazing, uh, I've found with them. Uh, and then I would say there's two sort of players which I, I really respect in the market. Um, one being Hong Kong Beer Co, uh, which they Yeah, the, the oldest craft brewery in 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 hong kong or south china <laughs> yeah um and they've gone through a lot of iterations but even in the last year they've got they've changed their brewing team and, and just yeah. some really quality guys coming through um and then for it's a toss-up for me between carbon brews and, and young master I, I don't know a young 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 master is the largest crop brewing uh, enterprise in hong kong I would guess they sort of do six to ten thousand hex across their brands. Yeah. Um, so they're not they're not small by any means, uh, and and they do I would say great standards uh, in Hong Kong in terms of like if you're looking for a standard parallel or standard IPA, really good standards. Um, and then you have got Carbon Brews, which is actually a guy who's come from Carlsberg. He's a Carlsberg brewer. Um, but he's he's sort of done this craft thing on the side as a project and and made. I think a really yeah. interesting, yeah, and, brand and good good beers. Yeah, and excellent branding, excellent branding. They also think they have some sort of agreement with with the brewery in Japan as well, so the liquid is really good. Um, but yeah, yeah. So those top top three, four, I guess you could call it that, or yeah. in terms of craft beers. Yeah, and there's quite a few more, but those are the yeah. yeah. There, there's a lot of others, honestly. Uh, yeah. I, I'm I'm amazed coming through COVID that so many of them are still alive knowing what the market has been yeah. uh, as I was saying today to so some people but but uh, those those for me are the clear sort of winner brands in terms of craft beers yeah. and, and you've seen a lot of them branch out in terms of having their own bars now uh, Carbon Brews for yeah. example has invested in uh, I mean uh, yeah. a huge venue on the most expensive street in Hong Kong and it looks amazing I mean, they must be putting two million rand a month into rent. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's, it's a serious, serious yeah, it's statement, a statement yeah. uh, piece. But uh, yeah, yeah. It, it's very interesting. No, yeah. And are these are these private individuals or are they big companies? If you're a passionate brewer, there's people who are willing to sort of sponsor the dream, where you can come in and and you know yeah. take yeah. over operations. Yeah, and another thing, I think Hong Kong is is a very good spot for, or it's a it's a good city to start a craft beer brewery and then looking at expanding in the rest of Asia, because of you know the way the F and B industry is, uh, or the the dynamics of the F and B industry here. So a lot of these places will you know uh, establish or these craft beer companies they'll establish themselves in Hong Kong with the plan of I'm investing now, building a brand, and then I'm taking it to China, and then I'm taking it to Singapore. So, so it's not, they're investing a lot here, but it's all with the bigger plan, obviously, of expanding. Yeah. Same as the lighthouse concept again. Yeah, yeah. So, so you, you generally have three lighthouse markets in Asia, um, which are commonly agreed to be Japan, South Korea, and Hong Kong. In terms of what those three do, the rest will follow. Uh, uh, Singapore, too, to a degree. Sorry, I should say that. Uh, yeah, uh, I went to Singapore. So, so yeah, Singapore. it's a bit of a rivalry between yeah, yeah. Hong Kong and Singapore. 
Hong, mm. Hong Kong and Singapore are the highest investment markets where it's very showy, um, I would say. And then South Korea and Japan are the volume ones where if you start a trend there and then it's successful, you're going to make a lot of money. And it's it's very, um, very fast moving. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. uh, not Yeah, yeah. Uh, an example I'll, I'll just give you for for South Korea. A number of years ago, must have been 2016, I would guess. Um, maybe 2017, really, that it took off. Uh, our brand, Kozel, we have a dark lager, which is very light, 3.8%, uh, quite like light, sweet caramel, coffee flavor, I'd say. Um, became a sensation in uh, South Korea for, for two years where um, people were serving 400 ml pints uh, topped with cinnamon in either the shape of a goat or in the shape of like a heart or whatever. On the rim of the glass. Yeah, yeah, or like a margarita style rim on, on the glass of the beer, cinnamon sugar. And it just went turbo where we went yeah. from something like, you know, I don't know, 10,000 hectoliters to 250,000 hectoliters. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's like a crypto. <laughs> Yeah, uh, we then we then had a trade war, which uh, between Japan and Korea, which crashed us pretty hard. <laughs> but, but it was fun while it lasted. I, yeah. I, I always say the brand is still very loved, but um, you know things things can go from zero to hero overnight. Yeah. And uh, in terms of distribution, how do, how how does one deliver beer in Hong Kong? Ooh. Um, distribution is probably the hardest thing in Asia, and, and talking in market and and someone so i I've, I've luckily even if i haven't been directly involved in a number of distribution conversations uh by nature of my job i've, I've been involved in sort of the understanding in the background uh, distribution is the biggest challenge for most companies and and so it's you know how do you manage your distributor how tightly do you hold the leash and and what do you what do you look for um the the more third world countries in Asia, the more difficult it becomes um, because your options are incredibly limited. Um, and so whether it's Philippines or Thailand or Vietnam, it's, you know, oh, this is some wealthy family with connections that has a company um, that's going to help us out or India, you know, the, that, that sort of thing happens quite often. Um, they have connections and they can distribute and they can get us to a level where, you know, we're comfortable then to go with someone else or to stay there for a number of years, whatever it may be. Um, that's a big challenge, though. Um, and, and for big brands, you obviously have to avoid anything negative um, that may come along with distributors, which that, that combination around Asia can can be difficult to find, quite frankly. Um, I think Asahi's been lucky with their, their partners and... Um, yeah, it's, it's then just managing those relationships and trying to get as much transparency as you can, um, which is, yeah, always always challenging because you want more information than they want to give you. Uh, <laughs> so, so it's it's carrot and stick approach. You know, what, what can you incentivize them to, to give you um, information as much as possible? And, 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 you know, how can you constructively use uh, your power with them, whether it's pricing or investment, um, to, to guarantee that. Uh, but that's that's always a balance and, and honestly very difficult. And, and distribution, the challenge, I would say specifically for Hong Kong, your logistics cost is very high. Yeah, warehousing especially. Yeah, so so where, where uh, space is a premium here, 
your 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 warehousing is very expensive, and also getting around town yeah. and, and trucks is very expensive. So so uh, yeah. making that efficient is is always a challenge. Yeah, it's and and th- like that that's saying something. But then looking at a country like China, with you know the sheer size of it and the the population, it's I don't want to say impossible, but you know I've heard some I've heard some interesting stories about like quality control is almost impossible at that point. Um, yeah, and kegs like steel kegs that you you know obviously have to refill disappearing and like all. <laughs> That's like, a very interesting story that we won't tell on this. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll tell you why. But disappearing kegs in China. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it is challenges. And what do the trucks look like? Uh, I mean, we we honestly use a lot of vans and all. Yeah, time. yeah. So so the way our distribution is, or how our distribution works is, we obviously have set days that we deliver in in certain areas, and then you know one one van will go to the warehouse and pick up all the all the deliveries for maybe this small street or you know whatever, and then load it up with the cakes, load it up with the with the stock, and like very. Like yeah. it's, it's definitely something that we're improving on, and now we're getting bigger and bigger cars, and hopefully we'll have some lorries soon, especially with demand going up. But but yeah, it's it's basically combis. Mm. Yeah, uh, essentially most of Hong Kong delivery, I would say, unless it's still like bars that are doing serious volume, uh, are combis, mm. and and it's it's very much like this street, this combi goes here. Yeah, okay. um, and and it's, uh, yeah, it's a bit of a nightmare to organize, organize as you can imagine. Um, <laughs> And, and if you haven't told the driver you've got kegs that he's got to pick up, yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. And if it's and if it's raining, like orders are delayed by, yeah, hours. Yeah, it's not, hours. It's not, not, not if easy. it's raining, nothing moves in this city, yeah. <laughs> and it rains all the time. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's it's fun talking to you guys, um, and it's a it's a real interesting picture. So, how often do you travel to the other markets besides Hong Kong? Uh, so I mean, Paul Paul's yeah. based with a distributor in Hong Kong. Yeah. Um, and you only do for Hong me, Kong. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So traditionally, I have always only been Hong Kong. Uh, however, that being said, um, pre-COVID, there was very much a understanding. You know, they want us to go learn from other markets, and so I, sort of every one or two months, I travel to another market, whether it's Taiwan, Philippines, China, um, Korea. Korea was my most common destination. Um, as that used to be one of our biggest markets in Asia, um, so so yeah, there was a lot of learnings we were meant to sort of take from from other markets and see the the difference mm. between them and them and us, and you know where everyone is in their stages. And how often do you have to go to uh, to the Czech Republic to go have a look at the the original brewery? Yeah, <laughs> so I, I I got to go. Four or five times. Five times I got oh, to go to the brewery uh, out that out there and and um, take some VIP trips and and take customers along and and you know make sure they enjoy things. That's uh, <laughs> a very important part of the job. Uh, I've I've unfortunately never been. <laughs> yeah, important <laughs> Yeah, as soon as I as soon as I joined, the three week quarantine came into effect. <laughs> so. And flight from Europe was banned for a while, so yeah. I'm I'm very excited for borders borders to open, so I can yeah. No, hopefully, hopefully yeah, Paul yeah. will be one of the one of the ones on the on the, the first trip out. Yeah, but uh, yeah, no, it, it used to be honestly every month or second month I, I'd be traveling to some different market at least for a couple of days. Um, but 
uh, yeah, well, hopefully that returns. But as long as quarantine is involved in Hong Kong, you know, probably not. Yeah, yeah. Paul and James, thanks for, for for sharing your stories and for sharing a beer with me. Yes. I was very really ill-prepared on my side. Yeah, where was your Yeah, yeah, where's the, what <laughs> It's been great chatting to you and, and just opening up our world a little bit to what's happening outside. I think we often just forget that there's rest of the world out there. Oh, it's our pleasure. And uh, thanks. Thank, yeah. thank you for having us on. We really appreciate it. All thank you for listening to our stories here online. In the show notes, you will also find a link where you can subscribe to become part of our community and be notified when we upload our latest content.